is a Woodside Church podcast. We are going into the series quickly. Um, um, Krishna was amazing, wasn't she? Yes, yeah. yeah, she was amazing. I heard from so many other people who listened to it online as well later on, who couldn't be there for the um, uh, you know preach, and they were like, "Wow." This really spoke to me. This really spoke to me. What we are seeing is God is working. God is doing his amazing things, you know, through this series. And so let's, let's turn our hearts, tune our hearts in line with what God wants to say. Well, she had the great news of let's praise God with whatever we have. I am coming with a dead opposite end as a let's fear God. Ooh, right, okay. Today we're going to be looking at a quite a serious subject, so we might spend a bit of time on that, but I will try to unpack as much as possible. Um, we may not be able to unpack everything today, but let's prayerfully wait and weigh what's being brought, and uh, let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand, help us respond in the right way. Yeah? Cool. We always have this... Um, thing in our house, we were taught by good church leaders about parenting and to ask our children how we are doing. You know, we always tell them, okay, don't do this, don't do that. You know, this is how you need to live, this is how you need to live. You're not doing good, you're not doing well, or this is better, that is good, whatever. But we also call to ask our children, hey, guys, how do you think we are doing as parents? What do you think we are doing? Do you love your papa? I asked my children. Do you love your mummy? Yes. Oh, we love you so much. Wonderful. When, when are the times that you really love us? It's like, oh, when, or I asked, why do you love us so much? It's like, you buy us sweets all the time. <laughs> well, the obvious answer, isn't it? You buy a sweet. For my son, it's like you buy me Lego whenever I ask you and, you know, the things that I like. Provisions, when we provide them with the good things, they really love it. Oh, you take us there, you buy us this food. They're very excited. Then I go on to the next question. When is the time that you don't like us? Is there, are there times when you are really kind of <clears throat> upset with us? Yeah. Oh, what is it? Well, what's the answer? When you get told off, yeah. That's one of my child there. <laughs> um, um, yes. When do you don't like us? They obviously say when you tell us off, when you punish us, when you say, you know, when you are strict, when you, when you deal us with discipline, you know, that's when we don't like it. We are unhappy. Well, I think in our relationship with God, we are... I am like this as well, isn't it? We are like this most of the time. We celebrate certain bits of God. We enjoy. And yeah, come on, Lord. You are the victor. Yeah. You love us full of grace. Yeah. I'm calling you to live a pure life. I'm asking you to sacrifice that. I'm wanting you to let go of that. Hard, isn't it? When, when things when God takes it to the uncomfortable ground, we don't like it as much. I want to get this picture. We, we've been discussing this in our family, in our church as well. What do we celebrate as a church a lot? The aspects of God, the attributes of God, the nature of God. If we put it up there, it is uh, um, 
you know, the love, grace, yeah, right. We have the natures of God. He's full of love. He's full of grace. He's almighty. He's full of power. He's holy. He's pure. The way we celebrate or the way we rejoice or the way we prioritize things or the way we give importance to his nature is that. Naturally, I'm just saying generally. I'm not pointing out, okay? I'm just saying generally over the churches, all around, over among Christians, those who follow Jesus, this is how it looks like. We love the fact that our God is full of love. We love the fact that he's so gracious. Wow. And, and depending upon, you know, the need, we, we, we really celebrate his nature of this power. You're almighty. Yes, Lord. You can do it, Lord. Yeah. We believe in it. You defeat our enemies. You fight our battles. Great. When it comes to holiness of God. Yeah, Lord, you are holy. We praise you. We worship you. You are holy. And he goes on to say, be holy like I am holy. Uh, um, well, I like that you love us, Lord. Thank you. How it should look like. It's the next slide. This is how it should look like. There is no either or. There is no different rating. There's no prioritizing. There's no you know, setting things up. Our God is full of love. We celebrate. Our God is full of grace. We celebrate. Our God is almighty. We celebrate. Our God is a holy God. We celebrate that. Yeah? All these things. You can't separate one factor from the other. You can't separate one nature from the other from God. We need to f- look at the full package. And we need to look, God, look at God in this way. We're going to be looking at uh, 1 Samuel 2nd chapter, verses 12 onwards. And the title that I've chosen for this uh, is Eli's Sons. You know, Eli is the priest and his sons were serving uh, in the temple courts. And uh, Eli's sons and God's judgment. Right? We're going to go through the scriptures completely. I'm going to read it. Please let me encourage you. If you have your Bible with you or your phones or your tablets, whatever, or it's going to come up here as well. So please go through it carefully. Then we will understand the story um, more better. Right? I'm going to read. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 to 36, ESV version. Eli's worthless sons. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. Remember, they are serving as priests in the temple courts. Yeah? And this is, what, this is the word of God. This is the word of God. It says they were worthless men. They do not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All, all that the folk brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest serving would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men 
was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen effort. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it, take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Eli rebukes his sons. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. The story continues. The Lord rejects Eli's household. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an effort before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourself on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, 
shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, Please put me in one of the priests' place that I may eat a morsel of bread. What a sad story. What a pathetic ending. Someone who had been chosen by God and God giving them the honor, God choosing them to serve Him, represent the people before God and represent God before the people. What a privilege. What an honor. Someone who could hear the voice of God and deliver it to the people. Tell them this is what God wants you to do. Tell them this is the direction God wants you to take. And someone who intercedes and mediates for the people. Lord, here they have sinned, but here they have come for forgiveness. Bringing in forgiveness into their life. Restoration. What have they done with the job? They've messed it up. They have badly and sadly messed it up. Now, what are the root causes? We're going to look at a few root causes of this tragedy. Okay, We're not going to look in detail of every single thing. But we're going to look basic four root causes of this problem. And how it may be that we could be doing that as well. There are four root causes. Firstly, is omission of parental responsibility. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 13, when God talks to Samuel about Eli, the father, he was a great priest, he was, he was really, his heart was after God, he served God so well, but something that he failed, he failed in his parental responsibility. And I declared to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Church, parental responsibility is a God-ordained responsibility for each and every one of us to raise a God-fearing generation. It is our responsibility. That includes loving them, but loving them like how God loves them. Where we need to punish them, we need to punish them. Where we need to discipline them, we need to discipline them. Here, when years have gone, when Eli hears about his sons, he goes and tells them, come on guys, you can't be doing that. This is not right. You are sinning against God. The only response they had was, they didn't listen to him. Why? When the years, when they were yearly, when they were early, as young as boys, he should have disciplined them and brought them well, brought them up well. He didn't do that. He restrained. Uh, he restrained from doing that. He mixed up with niceness and love. Sometimes we think being nice is love. I'm actually loving them. I'm just being nice. No. Sadly, no. If we want them to grow well as God-fearing, 
God-fearing and a, and a um, great citizens of any country and those who run for God, we need to raise them up by disciplining them. There's another verse in the Bible where it says, if you spare your rod, it's to the fathers, you are actually becoming their enemies by not dealing with them properly. Here, when God gives the picture to Eli, when he talks about how he failed in his responsibility, this is how he portrays it. He says, you have honored your children more than me. Guys, when we want to be nice to our children, and I know it's not nice when we tell them off, when we punish them, it's not nice. It is painful. As much as it is painful for them, it is painful for us. Isn't it? How many times we punish them and then we go and cry? We do, don't we? But it is needed. If you omit that and try to be nice to them, it says we try to honor them more than God. Let us not hesitate to punish and discipline our children where needed, in God, through the help of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Let's keep doing that. This is our responsibility, the church's responsibility, parents' responsibility to raise a generation for God. One of the prayers we pray every single day in the car when we drop our children to school, with the children we pray this. Lord, we pray for the school staff, the children, the teachers, and everyone that they would teach the children biblical moral values and raise a generation who would be great citizens of the UK. We pray for all the children. I know most of you are praying that as well. If we want to see a change in the country, we need to start now by praying for our children, by teaching our children God's biblical moral values and disciplining them where needed. If not, we would end up honoring them more than God and end up in a tragedy like this. The second root cause is taking things for granted. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they took everything for granted. 1 Samuel 2, 17 says, Thus the sin of the young men were very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Who's going to say anything? Who's going to question us? What Eli should have done when he admonished them, he should have said, now I am removing you out of the duty. No more you are supposed to serve as priests because you lost the ability to do that. No, now we are not going to allow you. He didn't do that. Now where has this ended? They took it for Nobody's going to tell anything. If they oppose, we say no, and then we'll carry on. Our life is going so smooth. Everything is working out well. We have the best of everything. And why wouldn't I, why would I think, or why should I fear God? Everything is going smooth in my life. Sometimes when all the things are working so fine, you know what? There is some trouble. You've got to watch out. You've got to watch out. That's what they were doing. Taking the, there are signs of taking things for granted. Yeah, what are the signs for taking things for granted? We become very ungrateful for the things that we have. We don't have anything to thank God for. We don't have anything to thank people for. That is a sign that we are taking things for granted. Here, 
what they received from the offering was not enough for them. They were not grateful for that. They wanted more. No, 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 I want the best of it. I want that. I want that as well. Discontent is a sign of taking things for granted. Every time complain. Every time, oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have that. While we, God has blessed us with so much. Yeah, our mind doesn't go on what we have, but our mind goes on what we don't have. That is a sign of taking things for granted. Always you're wanting for more. I want more. I want more. I want more pleasure. I want more wealth. I want more this. I want more that. That is a sign of taking things for granted. What are the things that we take for granted? We take God for granted. We take provisions of God for granted. We take people for granted. We take our family for granted. Isn't it? Ah, oh, it's just family. Ah, oh, it's just God. God is loving. Yeah, it's just God. You know, I've, well, this is just something, you know, we don't look after the things that God has given us. That is a very dangerous spot. Let us not be people who take things for granted. Let us value and be grateful for what we have. The third thing, the root cause of this tragedy is misuse of freedom. 1 Samuel 2, 15 and 16. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. I have the authority. I can do whatever I want. And so they misused their freedom. What did they misuse? They misused the wealth that they have. Basically, they've been bribing their servants and says, okay, I'll give you loads. Now you go and do this for me. Go and do this while they are sacrificing. Do this. They were misusing their wealth. They were misusing the authority. We are priests, man. You've got to listen to what we say. Right? And they treated God's sacrifice with contempt. They were misusing relationships. Sadly, the Bible says they slept with a woman who were there at the temple courts to serve. What a chaos. What a chaos. How does this look for us? Do we misuse freedom? Misuse the grace of God? Misuse his mercy, his favor upon us? The common misuse that can happen is misuse of resources God has given us. God has given us money, but we spend it lavishly on not really needed things or for just pleasure. We misuse relationships. Guys, be very careful with this. Please be very careful with this. They were having sex outside marriage with many women. Nowadays, this thing is coming up and is so fashionable everywhere in the world, not just UK. Friends with benefits. You have a need, I have a need. 
Let's fulfill our needs. They call it casual sex. I need to bring this out. Church, be aware of this. Be careful of this. This is not God's way. This is not what God is teaching us. He wants us to be faithful in our resources, in our relationships, in our authorities. There is a sign or a symptom of misusing freedom. What is that? When our weakness becomes an excuse. If you think, oh, what can I do? I'm doing well in this area, but this area I'm weak. I'm just a man. I live in the flesh. I'm still there. You know, God itself says, you have weaknesses. Nobody's perfect. I'm weak. And if that weakness becomes an excuse for us to continue the way we live, be careful. We are misusing the freedom that God has given us. The final root cause of the tragedy, deliberate disobedience. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of the Father. What does deliberate disobedience mean? Knowing what to do, but still, you won't do it. You know what should be done, but you won't do it. Sad, isn't it? It's like God telling you, my son, my daughter, please don't do that. Do this instead. This is what I'm telling you. This is my way. I have redeemed you. I have paid a price for you. And I've called you for a holy living, a pure living. And this is what I want. And what is my response? Actually, I love doing this. I'm sorry. I know you are forgiving. I know when I turn back, yes, as long as I'm turned this side, yes, you're going to be upset. But as soon as I turn, sorry, Lord, sorry. Yet again, you know, I'm weak. You know that. And that is my response. And immediately we expect God to, and he does. He does forgive us. That is deliberate disobedience. We're just going to pause for a minute. There's a four root causes of this tragedy. We're not going to share with anyone or anything. God knows your heart. You know your heart. You know what you're doing through. Just reflect on this. Is there anything or the symptoms that we talked about showing up in our lives? Is there anything or any place we're not doing or we are struggling with? We're going to look at the consequences of such careless living. The consequences are, there are three consequences, are deliberate, continuous disobedience can hinder the fulfillment of the promise of God in our lives. I was so shocked when I read the passage. It says, you know, God, when he, when he spoke to Eli, when he sent his man, you know, and his word, he said, I promised you this before, that this is what you'll be doing, but you know what? Now, 
far be it. Far be it. I'm not going to do it anymore. Our understanding, our knowing, God, you promised. You, you were a promise keeper. You promised. Yes, I did. I did promise. Still, I'm able to do that. But your deliberate, continuous disobedience is, is, is making me do this. My response to this. Many a times, we think, you know, if you see the history of Israel, oh, which is so relevant to us today, we think that, you know, the Babylonians were more powerful than the Israelites, so they defeated them. We think the Egyptians were more powerful, so they defeated them. We talk about different people. Oh, they were all more powerful. These armies were more powerful, so they defeated them, or more powerful than God. No, no. You read it carefully. It says it was their disobedience of the Israelites which defeated them. It was not because they were more powerful, but God allowed this to happen because of the deliberate disobedience of his people. Hey, be careful about this. Be careful about this, friends. Don't take this for granted. Oh, God promised he's going to go to word. He will do it. Yes, but what is our response? Most of the time, we are provoking a response like this because of what I'm doing, what we are doing. Let's be careful. Mind you, I mentioned deliberate, continuous disobedience. The second consequence is we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Have you read that verse in the Bible? Which says we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can also grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to live within us. But the way I live, the way we live, we can grieve, bring sorrow. That's the word, the Greek word there. We can bring sorrow. And it leads to quietening of the Holy Spirit. We are silencing him. We are putting him to like, shush. But I want to tell you the way. I want to lead you in the right way. I want to guide you. Shush. How do I do that? By these things that there, the four things there, deliberate disobedience. And I grieve the Holy Spirit. Sad. Pathetic for me. He might, sometimes you might think in certain areas of your life, oh, I don't hear anything. Then I think what I'm doing is right. I think it's all good. It's all going well. It's basically because we have grieved the Holy Spirit so much that he's gone silent. I have no say. Thirdly, we can provoke God's judgment. That's what has happened to Hophni and Phinehas. There was a time. What we think of is how harsh God is dealing with these people, with these generations to come. But what we don't watch or look out for all these years, he's been patient. He'd been withholding his judgment, his anger, holding on so patiently, which they had taken too lightly. By living like this, we can provoke God's judgment. Oh, that's a very, very dangerous place. Please, church, please, my brother, please, my sister, let us not find ourselves in that place. 
Now, what is God's judgment? Sometimes we come to um, think and, and see how God deals, you know, dealing with Eli and his generations to come. You know, the, 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 it's so harsh. We can't believe it. Can God of love do that? Can a God such, so loving, so kind do that? Well, actually, we are making him do that. To give the, big, the right understanding of God's wrath and God's anger, Jeremy Treat, in his book, um, this is what he writes. I love this uh, passage that he's put up there. Uh, it'll come. We must understand that wrath is not an attribute of God. God is love. God is holy. God is just. God is not wrath. God's wrath is the rightful expression of his holy love in the face of sin and evil. Before the foundation of the earth, the triune God had perfect love, joy, holiness, and peace. There was no, there was no wrath because there was no sin. God's wrath arises from his holy love in opposition to wickedness. Wrath only exists where sin exists. Therefore, we should uphold the priority of God's love and the necessity of God's wrath to safeguard his love in a fallen world. To speak the wrath of God, however, moves beyond the emotions of anger to the action of righteous judgment. God's judgment or wrath is not an attribute of God, but it is a response to sin, wickedness, deliberate disobedience. Do you understand that? It is not an attribute. It is not by nature that, by nature, he is love. What can you expect from God? Love. By nature, he is holy. By nature, he is just. We can expect it to come. But something that is a response, something that comes as a response is God's wrath and his judgment. And we, sadly, can provoke that. We've got to be really aware of that. This is what it says about God. Habakkuk verses 1.13. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. That's how pure he is. That's how holy he is. He's a pure, holy God. He has no darkness in him. He has no evil in him. In fact, the absence of God is evil. This is how God's judgment uh, looks like, and this is what we learn. God hates sin because it opposes his very nature, which is being holy. God's righteous judgment is a provoked response to deliberate disobedience and unrepentance. We read it now in the scriptures, and we read all through the scripture. God's righteous judgment begins with his people first. It begins here first. God's righteous judgment always comes with a hope of restoration. Even when he was punishing them, even when he was bringing such harsh words and prophesying what he's going to do, still he said, but I will raise up a priest. I will raise up a priest who will do what's in my heart and what's in my mind. Or everywhere you see, even in the Garden of Eden, but there will come a man out of this woman who will crush 
you. Everywhere there's a hope of restoration, there's a hope of salvation, even when he, because of his love, because of his holy love, he has to do this because of his nature, and then still he brings in the hope of restoration. This is how the process of God, uh, the righteous judgment of God works. But they rebelled, Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10, and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. Who's this? God. What a dangerous position. This is the process of his um, judgment. First, God becomes silent. Don't mistake his silence for ignorance or unawareness or that God is okay with it. It is his compassion that is holding him. It is his patience that is holding him. Then God removes himself out of the equation. This is how his judgment comes. We think sometimes, you know, God's judgment is like, he's going to punish this, bring this upon that. I know he's going to, uh, you know, bring in suffering and sorrow. No. The first thing he would do is he would remove himself out of the equation. That is more than enough, guys. That is more than enough. Imagine our life where God is removed himself or God has become silent, not taking any action. That is sad in itself. Then it goes on further. God turns against and will pay back. We love to sing of a God of love. Yes, but this is his righteous, holy, just nature. We cannot avoid, we should not omit this. In the New Testament, we have a warning about God's judgment. This is what it says, Hebrews 10, verses um, 26 to 31, 36 and 39. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For, for we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Ooh. But it doesn't stop there. I said always God's judgment comes with Hope of restoration. And the verses continue. It says, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in a just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not, it's talking about us, we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is full of love, full of grace, full of mercy. He is holy and he is just. All that he requires is obedience. All that he requires is repentance. And, and faithfully looking up to him. This is for people who will reject God completely and go into deliberate, continuous disobedience. That is the treatment. That it, it is not God's choice, but it is our choice. Now how does God show his love through this judgment? We know so very well. God so loves us that he poured out his wrath, which was due upon each and every one of us, which is due upon each and every one of us, onto his son, Jesus Christ. He's a holy God. He poured it out on Jesus. Now, we, those who believe in Jesus Christ, are considered forgiven and restored. You know, one of the job, one of the work that Jesus is doing right now, he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for each and every one of us. Like how he did on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Very similarly, he's doing the same thing in the right hand of the Father. Say, Lord, I am the lamp. Your wrath was fully poured out on me. Their punishment has been served. Judgment has been served. Now these are your people. They believe in me. My blood is over them. The punishment is served. They are forgiven. They are restored. Forgiving. God's forgiveness does not mean, um, okay, right, you lived like this so far. Let's leave it. Okay, right, let's have a fresh start. Okay, I'm not going to see that. Now let's start. No, that's not right. Punishment. He is a just God. Punishment had to be taken, has to be paid, and we were due to receive it, but he poured it out on Jesus. How does it stand for us like that? We're going to skip that verse. We're going to John 3, 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not, we all know this verse, right? And we all rejoice that we say, yeah, this is how God loved us. But the story doesn't stop there. It continues. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. If we believe in him, we are not condemned. Hallelujah. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. He's saying already the wrath of God, the judgment of his God is upon us because we are born sinners. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Guys, we also know the story of Nineveh. God said, I'm going to bring my punishment. I'm going to burn them with fire. I'm going to destroy them. What happened? 
and God's warning, God's word was taken to them, they responded in the right way. They repented. They asked for forgiveness. They cried out to God, don't do that. What happened? We know the story. Compassionate, loving God. Compassionate, loving God. He did not do. He did not bring wrath and anger and judgment over them because they repented. In God's love, there are three things that he does for us. I know we are running, but this is important. I'll, I'll finish with this. Three things in God's love that he is constantly doing in our lives. One is God warns. He always sends his warning. When we read about Eli's sons, when he, says, when he said a man of God went with God's word, that was a warning. Behold, the days are coming, he said. That was a warning. God never comes and acts just like that. He always pre-warns us. Please don't do that. And that is what he is doing in our life right now. God warns all the time. He loves us so much that he constantly warns. Next, God disciplines his children. Hey, because he has accepted us as his children, he disciplines us. He says, if God doesn't discipline us, then we are illegitimate children. That's what the word of God says. No, but because he has accepted us as his children, he disciplined us. Jacob and Esau. If you see, Esau actually had a better life than Jacob. He was blessed. He had everything, you know, wealth. He was doing really well. But one thing that lacked, God did not discipline him. But on the other hand, Jacob, who had the promise, he suffered like anything. But he had the great privilege of God's discipline in his life, where which he was, being, he was made better and better, better and better every single day and inherit the promise of God. God's discipline is so needed in our life. Finally, God forgives in his love. When we make mistakes, he forgives. I'm just going to read this verse. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Now carefully listen to this. He's saying about forgiveness and asking for forgiveness and how God cleanses us from wickedness. Why? This is what he said. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. If we move to the next slide, please. God's forgiveness leads to, it's a ladder. Yeah? When God forgives, when we repent, when we ask for forgiveness, when you say, Lord, I am weak, I am struggling, I don't want to live like this. You know, God shows mercy and he shows his forgiveness. Why? There is a step ladder from there. He reconciles us. Then he disciplines us. God's forgiveness does not mean that he's not going to discipline us. My child thinks when he comes and says sorry that I'm not going to punish him. Oh, I did it, but I'm sorry. 
That doesn't mean he's not going to discipline us. We will go through the discipline. Why? It is much needed that we won't repeat it again in our life. Where will it lead to? It will lead us not to sin. He will, it will lead us to a pure, righteous, holy life to which God has already called us and made us holy, pure. And this is who you are now. Come. Rather, how does it look if we take God's forgiveness lightly and take it for granted? This is what happens. Our weakness becomes our excuse. I'm weak. Sorry, I did it again. Then it goes, goes on to silencing the Holy Spirit, which is a very sad thing. There might be areas in our life where we won't hear anything, any suggestions, because the Holy Spirit has become so silent of our deliberate disobedience. And then what happens? How does it show? We will continue what we are doing. We will continue in sin. We don't want to be there. One of the things I tell the young ones all the time, how do you know you're growing in God? There's a gauge, simple gauge. How well are you overcoming temptation? If you're overcoming temptation, much better than before. That means that's a sign that you are growing in God. If you're not, if you're in the same place, that means you're stagnant. You're not growing in God. Let's close our eyes. I know we are gone past, but... Sometimes, talking about the love of God and the grace of God, we tend to omit or put this purity and holiness of God to which he has called us to behind us. We take things too lightly. My friends, what really spoke to you today. Be careful. In love, God warns. <laughs> Keep very sensitive and look out for the discipline of God. Don't let or don't silence the Holy Spirit. He forgives. He forgives. I'm just going to request you something. Yeah, remain wherever you are, yes. But if you want to repent now, may I request you, please, do it now. This is the time. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. No. God knows your heart. If you're seriously and truly looking at, Lord, I've messed up. I've seriously messed up. I need your help. I don't mind if you discipline me. Please do discipline me so that I won't live in this sin again. I don't want you to be silent. Please. Let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. Please respond now to God. If you're here and hearing this message for the first time, oh, I didn't know I was already condemned. Don't worry at all. Jesus has taken all the punishment on himself. 
God so loved that he made Jesus take your punishment. Just believe in him. All that you have to do, just believe in him. And we are made holy and righteous and blameless before God as the blood of Jesus washes us clean white as snow. Just respond to God. Say, Lord, I understand who I am. I come to you. Forgive me. This, I don't want to live in this sinful life. Just change me. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We come to you. Lord, please, Lord, please. You are a God of love and God of holiness. Help me never, never to forget the fact that you are holy and you want me to be holy like you, pure like you. Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, transform me, my mind. Help me to overcome my weakness by the strength of the Holy Spirit and live a pure life glorifying you in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.